And welcome. You can be seated. Thank you. So glad you're here today. Also, those of you joining us online, we're so very glad that you are. This is the first of two services that we have on Sunday mornings, which is the Bible prophecy update that we do weekly. The second service, which will be live streamed, by the way, at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time is the actual sermon, which is a verse by verse study through the Word of God. And we're currently in 1 John, the second chapter, and we're going to today, uh, second chapter. Did I say first chapter? I did? Let's try that again. This second half. Our second service uh, is a sermon, and it's a verse by verse study through 1 John, the second chapter today, the second chapter. Um, in fact, to be more specific, it's verses 12 through 14 of the second chapter of 1 John. And what we're going to do is look at the availability of a cure, as it were, for the condition of remaining spiritually immature. And might I add, at a time in human history where being so is most unforgiving. Also, for those of you that are joining us by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would really encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org. And there you will find the uninterrupted entirety, also uncensored entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it. I just want to talk with you again today. And what I want to talk with you about is how the only way to not lose heart in this, the very last day in human history as we know it, is to persistently and tenaciously pray. I think you would agree with me that the profound increase of evil perpetrated on the global population in the world today is the likes of which we've never before seen. But God. But the God of the Word, vis-a-vis -vis the Word of God, provides us with how it is that we can take heart in order that we do not lose heart. Can I invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter? I want to begin reading in verse 1. I want you to pay particular attention to the first verse, uh, first word in verse 1. It's the word then, understanding this will be germane to our understanding of this parable. So we're told, verse 1, Luke 18, then He, speaking of Jesus, spoke a parable to them, speaking of the disciples, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, verse 2, there was in a certain city a judge who 
did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And verse 4, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Translated, the only way I'm going to get this woman off my back is to give her what she wants. Then, verse 6, the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And verse 7, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? It's important to understand that right after Jesus likens the last days to the days of Noah and also the days of Lot, He, here's that word, then teaches this parable about not losing heart. Can you make that connection? In other words, you guys, as he teaches this parable to the disciples, in the last days it is going to be so perilous. Perilous times will come, Paul writes to Timothy, and lists 19 characteristics of said perilous times in the end times, the last days, and those last days are this day, today. And I want you to know that the only way you're going to survive, let alone thrive in these perilous times, is to pray so you don't lose heart, because it's going to get really bad. So bad that it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Was it bad in the days of Noah? It was very bad in the days of Noah. The evil was unspeakable. How about the days of Lot? Unspeakable evil. And so he teaches them this parable on the heels of likening the last days in which we are now living to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And in a sense, what he's saying is, it's going to get so bad, you guys. The only way you're going to make it is to pray. Otherwise, you're just going to give up. You're going to lose heart. This uh, parable, it's really a, a prophetic par parable. It's, it's a parable about the end times and the Lord's return. And it's unique for several reasons, chief of which is that Jesus, unlike the other parables, begins with the point of the parable before teaching the parable. Right out of the shoot, verse 1, He tells them, us, what the parable is about. I like it when God gives us the test answers 
to the questions. So what's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is that of always praying. If we're to have any hope of not losing heart and giving up in the perilous times of the end of time. Actually, think this through with me. The impetus for this widow's persistency and tenacity in prayer was her perilous desperation. Because you have to understand, as a widow, <laughs> she's helpless. She's hopeless in her situation. And this was the impetus for her persistency and tenacity in praying and pleading for justice. She has been on the receiving end of evil, adversarial injustice. And her only hope was this unjust judge helping her meeting out justice for her because of the unjust evil against her. And this is why it is, by the way, that Jesus is emphasizing that if an unjust, ungodly judge will meet out justice, how much more will God do so? And speedily, He will not delay though it seems that He is. No, He will rush in and move, and justice will be served, and speedily. You know, this parable is a, a kind of a tough one in a, in a sense, because one can almost come away with this impression that, you know, God is reluctant. And here's J.D. He just keeps, he, he's really starting to bug me. He keeps coming to me. He keeps asking, and how am I going to get rid of this guy? I just give him what he wants and I'll get rid of him. That's not at all the point of the parable. I hope you know that, right? No, the point of the parable is if this ungodly, unjust judge will mete out justice, how much more will God? There's something else here, and I just kind of bear with me for a moment. But the question is not whether or not God will mete out judgment in the end. The question is, will he really find faith in the end? Did you catch that at the end of the, the parable? So, so God is almost kind of like um, flipping it around, and, and you're, you're asking the wrong question, in a sense, rhetorically so, I suppose. Because your question is, your concern is, will this widow get justice? That's not the right question. The question isn't, will she get justice? That's a given. Here's the real question. When I come back, when Jesus returns, the question is, will he really find faith in the end? 
This is why this particular parable is about the end, when Jesus returns first in the rapture, and then second at the end of the seven-year tribulation at His second coming. This is at the heart of the parable, in that it's a parable about the time of the end being so evil that absent, persistent prayer, we will lose heart. This description of losing heart, barely hanging on at the time of the end, comports with the letter in Revelation to the Philadelphia church. This church is one of seven churches on the receiving end of a letter from Jesus through the Apostle John, which is also a prophecy. And by that I mean these seven letters, while to those specific churches in that day are prophecies for us concerning the end of time in our day. Kindly allow me to read this letter in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make, verse 9, those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because, verse 10, listen, you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. That's the seven-year tribulation. Because you've kept my name, I'm going to keep you out of the seven-year tribulation. And then he says, verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly, speedily, Tacos in the original language of the Greek New Testament, where we get our word for our tachometers in the car. A measurement, a set time, a measurement of revolutions per minute, RPMs. I, I'm going to come speedily, quickly, when things are revving up. Are things revving up? Things are revving up. Hold fast, hold on. Buckle up. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, verse 12, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem 
which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. And then he ends, as he ends all the letters, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The common denominator between this parable that Jesus taught and this letter that Jesus had John write is that of persistent perseverance, persistent perseverance, specifically persevering and persistent prayer that's proportionate to and commensurate with the perilous and evil times of this, the end of time. And what do you mean? Well, let me explain. The way we pray today cannot be the same as the way we used to pray in the past, by virtue of the unspeakable evil in the present. And it's evidenced by how the widow in the parable had reached her end, which is what propelled her into this proportionate persistency and perseverance in prayer. I mean, her situation, had it not been so perilous, it's doubtful that her prayers would have been so tenacious. You know how it is. I mean, think about it. When things are going good, what does your prayer life sound like and look like? Probably a lot like mine. Thank you, Lord. Bless them. Bless this. Bless that. In Jesus' name, amen. But then let adversity strike. Oh, God. <laughs> Creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Oh, now, now we're talking. Now we're talking. This is so true for us in the sense that the evil of this last hour has risen to the level of warranting this level of persistent prayer. Now the question becomes one of why it is and even how it is that we too can also be numbered amongst those of whom it said they always persist in prayer so as to not lose heart in this evil day. And I am keenly aware that whenever I talk about prayer, it has this unintended effect of guilt, the gift that keeps on giving, as one said. I mean, who among us has prayed enough? Is there such a thing? Whenever it comes to the, the topic of prayer, the matter of prayer, there's always that, that sense of, man, I need to pray more. Yes, you do. But never imagine that God is in heaven going, I'm going to make you a man of prayer if it's the last thing I do. No. Can you imagine? 
Think about it as an earthly father, earthly parent. Oh, I've got to spend time with my father. I'm going to get this over with. I've got, to, I've got to talk to him. I've got to spend time with him. That's okay, honey, sweetheart. That's, that's okay. Don't, don't, I don't want it like that. I don't want it to be a, a got to. I want it to be a get to. I mean, hey, think about this. We get to and have unfettered access to God anytime. We never get voicemail. We never get the secretarial screen. Do they still have that these days? I don't know anymore. I don't get out much. He's, he's always at the ready, waiting. J.D., just come to me. Bring that to me. Why are you carrying that? It's killing you. Why are you so weighed down with that burden and that care? Cast your care on me, for I care for you. Just come to me. I have everything you need right here. Come to me. Let's talk. But we don't do that. We don't call on the Lord. We call everyone but the Lord. And by the way, can I just lovingly, and, I, and I, the Lord knows my heart, I just would lovingly suggest that sometimes the worst thing you can do is to call someone up and try to have them help you, because how are they going to help you? In fact, if anything, maybe I better speak for myself, they make it worse. Where's your faith? What's the matter with you? Oh, there must be some deep sin in your life. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I dialed Job's friend on the Can I just take it a step further, just real quick? I wonder sometimes, I, again, I'll speak from my own prayer life, from my own experience. I wonder sometimes if God allows that phone call to take place. So I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I even call them? And the Lord's like, I know. Why did you? Hello? You've got my number. In fact, it won't even ring. I'll pick it up even before it rings because I know you're going to call me before you call me. So it's not going to ring, 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 ring. And then when he answers, by the way, it's never like, what? Oh, sorry, God, I, I know you're busy. <laughs> no, it's more like this. I've been waiting for you to come to me. I love you so much. I want to share with you, it's not exhaustive, but several powerful truths the Lord has been teaching me about prayer over the years in my own walk with the Lord. First, by way of a preface, 
While prayer is one of the most powerful tools in our spiritual toolbox, it's also the tool that most of us do not avail ourselves of. And this for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that Satan knows prayer is the deciding factor in his defeat, which is why prayer is so difficult. This explains why it is that when you start to pray, all hell literally breaks loose. Why is that? Because Satan doesn't want you. If, if you see Satan knows when you pray, it's game over for him. So he'll do everything and stop at nothing to keep you from praying. Because if you can beat the devil in prayer, you've got, you've got everything else. He cannot mess with you. He knows it's the deciding factor. Prayer. When a child of God prays to his God, the devil knows, uh-oh, and he runs as fast as he can, as far away as he can, because he knows now you got your daddy involved. That's why prayer can be so difficult. It's also in addition to being difficult, it's been complicated. I'm not going to lay the blame solely at the feet of the enemy on this. I think we're to blame for complicating the simplicity of prayer. The volumes that have been written, the, the books on prayer, my goodness, you could fill a library 10 times over. I shared with you, it's a true story. It was a number of years ago. I. I really set out and even prayed, God, make me a man of prayer, to which I could almost hear God saying, are you sure you want me to do that? No, I want to be a man of prayer. Okay. So I, I mean, I was determined. So I went out and I bought me some big books on prayer, voluminous volumes, this thick. I'm like, okay, I'm going to read this book on prayer. A good book. I, I, nothing against them. Okay. I got a library full of them. You're welcome to them if you want. Actually, no, I'm not going to give them to you. But one in particular, E.M. Bounds. You want to read a good book on prayer, read E.M. Bounds. And here I got this book, and I mean, I'm all right, all right. And then I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit in that still small voice starts speaking to my heart like, Oh, that's a, that's a big book. Yeah, no, man, I'm going to be a man of prayer. Yeah, that's going to take you well. Yeah, but I'm going to do it. Uh, JD, what about maybe just instead of reading that book on prayer, you just prayed? You know how when the Holy Spirit light bulbs go off, you're like, oh, that's a great idea. The amount of time that it would have taken me to read a book on prayer, I could have been in prayer. And so I did. And wow. I mean, it was, I just don't have any other word, but wow. Just wow. You know, I always know I made a good decision when my only regret is that I didn't make it sooner. And such was the case. 
But let me just expound briefly on how we, we have complicated prayer. And I'm, I mean, we're cooperating with the enemy who wants nothing more than for us to complicate prayer, because a prayer becomes so complicated that we won't do it. You know what prayer is? You ready for it? Wait for it. It's talking to God your daddy in heaven, Baba, Abba, Papa, Baba, I need you, God. I need you. You know, and sometimes, I, and I guess this is probably as good of a time as any to mention this, sometimes it, it, it's, you just can't pray because you're in such deep pain. And I get that. And I know all about that. And sometimes those are just wordless prayers. They're liquid prayers, as one affectionately referred to them, where you, you can't. All you can do is just moan and cry. Those are powerful prayers, by the way, because God hearkens unto the voice of your cry. You're a child of God crying out to your heavenly Father, your loving, tender heavenly Father, who loves you more than you could ever imagine. I know as a parent, as a young parent with young children, man, I, when my kids would cry, I would just go crazy. I would, you know that, uh, I didn't, whatever. Well, now I have to say it. <laughs> Sorry. You remember that uh, Let Him Cry It Out movement back in the, I don't know, this is a number of years ago. Let Him Cry It Out. Well, we tried that, my wife and I, because we had to sleep. We, we never slept. In fact, when our first uh, son was born, we haven't slept since. So we're like, okay, you know, we got to get some sleep. We're sleep deprived. So just let him cry it out. Oh, okay, well, let's do it. So we let, let him cry it out. I think, and this is not an exaggeration, I think it lasted, for me, I think I made it about, I didn't make it a minute. That's not an exaggeration. I think about 30, 40 seconds into it, I'm like running in there, okay, Habibi, what's wrong? Oh, it's okay. What's your point, Pastor? My point is, I'm so glad that God doesn't let us cry it out. Oh no, He hearkens unto the voice of our cry. Speedily, quickly he rushes in. Shh. JD's crying out to me. The silence in the heavens, the, the hush of heaven, the holy hush of heaven. Be quiet. He's praying. What is prayer? that before the throne of Almighty God is, is a fragrance, an incense, pleasing in His sight. 
Again, as a young parent, you'll forgive another personal reference, but I just loved, I recorded, we all have the home videos of our kids, right? And they were so adorable. I just love to hear. That's why we talked their language, goo goo gaga, just to get some expression out of them and hear them squeak and squawk and talk. And, you know, of course, the first words you always want as a father is dada. And say, honey, did you hear that? He said, Dada first. Oh, how much more to our Heavenly Father. That's all prayer is. It's just talking to God. This alone has encouraged and settled my heart such that I can come to my tender, loving, heavenly Father anytime with anything, knowing that He always hears my prayers. And not only does He always hear my prayers, He will always answer my prayers the same exact way that I would answer my own prayers if I knew what He knew. That really settles me. Actually, this is Another problem that explains, not excuses, but explains prayerlessness. Stay with me. Because God, who always answers my prayers, doesn't answer my prayers the way I want, or how I want, and certainly when I want, I stop praying. I stop asking. Then when this happens, we have not an answer to prayer because we asked not for an answer in prayer, as James says. Oh, may it never be said of us that we have not because we ask not. You, if you would have but asked, if you would have just come to me and asked me for that, I would have given it to you. If it brings me glory and it's for your good, you got it. I'll give you anything. You ask anything of me. If it's according to my will, for my glory and for your good, why would I not give that to you? The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome in chapter 8 of Romans says it and frames it in a very interesting way. He says, how in the world does, this is a very loose paraphrase, but here's the essence of it. How in the world does it make any sense to you, Romans, that if God was unwilling to spare His only begotten Son, and was willing to give you His only begotten Son to die for you. Is there anything He would withhold from you? How does that make any sense to you? God, God will give you anything. He'll withhold nothing from you. Just ask. Yeah, but... This is a big ask. Oh, he's a big God. I did not mean for this to be a sermon on prayer, but maybe this is a word fitly spoken on prayer. Question. Do you find it interesting that the disciples would ask Jesus to teach them to pray? 
See, I totally wouldn't have done that. I I would have asked Jesus to teach me to preach, teach me to teach. No, they didn't ask him to teach them to preach. They asked him to teach them to pray, not how to pray. No, teach me to pray. I don't want to just be taught how to pray. I want to be taught to pray. Have you ever asked yourself why they would ask Jesus to teach them to pray? Could it be because they saw firsthand what happened when Jesus prayed? I point this out because of another account also in Luke's Gospel, seven chapters earlier in chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass, as he, speaking of Jesus, was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, verse 5, listen, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And verse 7, he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My kids are in bed. I cannot rise. Well, that sounds like the parable of the persistent prayer of the widow. And then he says this, verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Thanks a lot, friend. How about former friend now? (laughs) Yet because of his, and here it is again, persistence. He will rise and give him as, watch this, many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened You know, this is a misunderstood promise, powerful promise, sadly misunderstood, because it kind of comes packaged with a false teaching, by the way, that if you have to ask more than once, that's a demonstration of a lack of faith. Nothing could be further from the truth. When Jesus says, ask, in the original, it carries with it the idea of ask and keep on asking and don't stop asking. Uh, knock. Keep knocking. Is that getting on your nerves? Well, it's getting on apparently these guys' nerves. So they're going to get out of bed. Again, God's not reluctant. And by the way, God is not in bed either. (laughs) 
Whoever asks and keeps on asking, whoever seeks and keeps on seeking, whoever knocks and keeps on knocking persistently, tenaciously. Well, this brings me full circle to the aforementioned explanation of how we ought to pray as Jesus taught, so as to not lose heart. So we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Pictured here is a prayer chart of sorts that I organize and categorize specific to specific prayers as it relates to specific evils. The first is the evil that makes us lose heart. Second, a suggested way to pray to not lose heart. And third, the scripture references to encourage our heart. Because we've covered in depth all that's on this chart in prior updates, and again, not exhaustive, but in the interest of time, this will be a cursory consideration of what I'll call the top seven, though again, not in any particular order, nor exhaustive in any sense. Number one, mounting adverse events and even death from the poisonous COVID-19 injections. Please know that these are only suggestions on the way to pray. And for this, it's praying for God's mercy concerning sudden death, God's healing from ensuing illnesses. I'm including Psalm 91, which for many a saint over the generations has been a go-to psalm, a powerful prayer psalm prayed by many. But I want to add to it also Acts chapter 28, verses 3 through 6. Luke writes by the Holy Spirit, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, he's been shipwrecked on the island of Malta, because God wants the islanders to get saved. So he changes Paul's itinerary on his trip to Rome. So here's Paul, he's helping out with the fire. And a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, <laughs> this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But, verse 5, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects slash adverse events. The people expected him to swell up or be one of those who died suddenly. Died suddenly. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. Died suddenly. But after waiting a long time, could you he's going to die. Watch. Just wait. Wait. He's not dying. No. He will. Everybody who gets bit by these vipers, uh, you know, uncle, auntie, you know, they all died. He's going to die. And he doesn't die. 
after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him. He's not swollen up like everybody else. He's not dying like everybody else. They changed their minds and said he was a god. Okay. Uh, no, Paul is not a god, but Paul is going to tell you about his god. This is called praying the word. You can take a passage like this and pray this. You can turn scripture into prayers. Lord, please do not let me swell up or suffer adverse events or become ill. Let nothing happen to me. Number two, looming collapse of the global economy. Pray for God's provision because you have God's promise. As a child of God, you will never be begging bread. He will always provide. He will always provide for you. It will never be necessarily in the way that you expect it to be. God may choose to provide for you from an unseen treasury unknown before in ways that you could have never imagined. But you see, you have the promise in God's Word throughout, replete throughout Scripture. I have Matthew 6, 19 through 34 as the go-to, but also Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. These are just two passages among a myriad of passages and promises in Scripture. You know, we receive numerous and voluminous emails from people saying, what, what should we do in light of what is happening globally to the economy. And obviously we're never going to give people financial advice, but the best advice, financial advice, is in the pages of Scripture. Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes says, diversify. Uh, six, seven areas, because you do not know what evil will befall the land. Matthew 6, again, 19 through 34, Jesus says, don't worry about it. I got you. If I'm going to provide for the birds in the air and the flowers of the field, how much more valuable are you? They weren't created in my image. You were. So if I'm going to take care of them, I'm not going to take care of you. Don't worry. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday, by the way. I'll give you some time on that one. I know that was quite a bit. Oh, remember yesterday you were worrying about tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow. Today is the tomorrow you were worrying about yesterday. Did it happen? No. You know what they found? 90 plus percent of the things we worry about never happen. Now that does not, that makes you, some of you, you worriers like me that have a PhD in worry, you're like, that's great. 90 what percent did you say? Because you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about, so that means there's three or four percent that I need, I need to worry. That's all you think about, right? I see. I know. I know. I know. But even that which you fretted about that did come about, God will give you the grace at the time that you need it 
and see you through it. One last thing on this financial thing, because this is, this is a big issue, especially now, and for obvious reasons, I think. It's God's money, right? We're the stewards of that which He's entrusted us with. We're the owners of nothing, the managers of everything. We're only the managers of God's money. So really, what's your problem? That's for the owner to be concerned with. It's not your money. You think God's not, you think God's caught off guard by this? Oh my goodness, CBDC. I, when did, what? No, he pretty told us. Oh yeah, yeah, CBDC. Social credit scores, climate credit scores, 50 minute cities. We talked about that last week. It's all right in here. Uh, question. I ask this, it's a rhetorical question, but I ask this with the sincerity of my heart, and the Lord knows my heart. And it's a why question. Why would God not provide for you? Why, why would, maybe better ask, why would God just all of a sudden stop providing for you at such a time as this? No, He, he will always provide, no matter what. He will always provide for you. Yeah, but it's, it's looking like it's going to get really bad before the rapture. God doesn't know that. God doesn't know that. God doesn't know what you need financially. He's going to provide. Number three, we better keep moving. Stop doing that. We've got to move faster now. Impending threats of wars, with current wars, by the way. <laughs> Pray for God's protection from, and perhaps more importantly, simultaneously, God's warning about the prophetic birth pains increasing with frequency and intensity at this time, which is the end of time. Let me maybe unpack that just real quick. Jesus in Matthew 24 said that this is how you're going to know that it's the time of the end. There's going to be wars and threats of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And he likens all of the above to birth pains, which come in greater frequency and greater intensity. And that's how you're going to know. He's likening his return to a baby being born, a baby coming. There's going to be these birth pains, these contractions. And that's what we're seeing now. So yeah, pray for God's protection, but also pray this. Pray that God would open up the eyes of the people to the prophetic reality of why this is happening at this time, that it is the time of the end. Number four, I'm going to have to ask you to bear with me on this one the alarming LGBTQ transgenderism acceptance. Pray for God's kindness. Pray for God's forgiveness. 
that's what leads to repentance and salvation. Romans 2, 4, it is the kindness of God that leads one to repentance. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, uh, it, it's astounding. Uh, it's, I would even venture to say, upsetting to most Christians, because the Apostle Paul has the audacity by the Holy Spirit to talk to those Christians in that Corinthian church that came out of a lifestyle of homosexuality. He has the audacity to say, you know what, God does not condemn you, God loves you. Jesus did not come to condemn you, you're already condemned. He came to save you, God loves you. Actually, today's But God testimony speaks to and testifies of the grace and mercy of God who loves these people. Jesus died for these people. He wants to save them, not condemn them. I think we do err greatly and we misrepresent a loving God greatly. When we condemn them. No, Jesus loves them. Jesus can save them. <sighs> Number five, increasing spraying and poisoning of our skies. Now this is a, a interesting one. It might seem odd at first, but it's really right out of Revelation eleven eighteen. Pray for God's reward for us and the destruction of those who destroy the earth. This is a prophecy in Revelation eleven eighteen when God judges the world. He's going to destroy those who destroyed the, the earth, those who destroyed His creation. God created the earth. Satan hates God's creation. That's why he wants to destroy us, created in the image of God. I want to share with you an email we received from an online member by the name of Sarah Coy. It represents the emails we receive on a regular basis in regards to the poisonous injections. And with this one in particular, it's also representative of the emails and comments about the poisonous spring of the skies, which we've covered extensively in previous updates as it relates to geoengineeringwatch.org and the outstanding work of Dane Wigington. Here's what she wrote. I'd like to say how very much your ministry has meant to me over the past three years. One bit of sanity in an increasingly insane world. I have been aware of the devious plans for several decades, but never imagined it would be quite as evil as it appears to be. God has made a way for me to continue working in healthcare, although my employer refused to accept your exemption letter, lifting the mandate just as I was about to lose my job. I have had no jabs, have never put a swab in my mouth or nose for testing. However, the geoengineering appears to have had an effect as I now struggle to breathe with any activity. I am trusting God on how I get to heaven, whether it's in the rapture, my favored mode, or as a dead in Christ. 
Thank you for all that you do. God bless you all, Sarah. That's real. That's raw. And that's true. Number six, and I won't don't, won't spend a lot of time on this. I'm not in the mood. <laughs> Sorry. Confusing and deceiving political theater. Um, pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's truth in the midst of this evil last days deception, and with it this powerful delusion. This is Second Thessalonians 2, really the entire chapter. I want to spend just a little bit of time, if you don't mind, on number seven, because this is where it really hits home. The intensifying personal trials for Christians. This kind of brings us back to our text, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. I'll add to it James 5.16, which I know you know well, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous, not our own righteousness, but those righteous in Christ's imputed righteous avails, accomplishes much. But specifically, and this is another thing about prayer, pray specifically. Pray with specificity. Pray for God's strength. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray for perseverance. Pray for tenacity and persistence. And again, I I know there are those times, and the Lord knows, when you just can't pray. There just are no words. But the Lord knows all about it. You don't have to explain it to Him. He knows more about it than you know about it. He knows the end from the beginning. I know that it is getting increasingly, infinitely more difficult as we get close to the sound of the trumpet. And it will continue to do so. And that's the whole point of this prophecy update. We ought always to pray, persistently pray, if we're to have any hope of not giving up. Never, ever give up. You stay at the throne. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. You keep praying for that wayward daughter, that prodigal son. You keep praying for that loved one that needs Jesus. You never stop. You keep praying. You keep seeking. You keep asking. You keep knocking. You never give up on that husband, that wife. Your marriage. Never keep praying. Don't stop praying. Yeah, but pastor, man, it's like I, I pray and then it gets worse. Oh, wow. So logically you say, well, then if it keeps getting worse, the more I pray, I'm just going to stop praying. Really? Well, sometimes, because see, I know this is shocking, but God knows what he's doing. You don't know what God's doing. 
And God's timing is always perfect. He knows what he's doing and why it seems to you that he's delaying. He's not delaying. If you only knew, and he can't tell you because you wouldn't get it because he's infinite and you're finite. And like a little child, you know, with all of our why questions, the whys of God, the ways of God, God, why? And here's God going, I would love to tell you why. But here's what would happen if I told you why. You would have a thousand more why questions. So how about you just trust me? What a novel idea. If you knew what I was going to do, if you only knew. Isaiah 30, 18, he, the Lord will wait to be gracious unto you. He's never late. He's never early. He, and we don't want him to be early. His timing is always perfect. Listen, I, I know right now it's really hard and it seems like it's been going on for a long time. And you are looking at this thing like, I'm not going to make it this time. This is how it ends. This guy saying, no, uh -uh, no, it's not. You have no idea how this is going to end. Just wait, you'll see. Just watch me now. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow you out of the water. And then after and when I do it, because I'm going to do it. It's not if, it's when. When I do it, oh, you're going to go, oh, God, that was so cool. I told you. I tried to tell you. Yeah, but God, if I'd have known, I tried to tell you. you, you what? You didn't trust me. Yeah, but God, the way, I don't know how you did it. I mean, I don't know the way you did it. I just know that you did it. And here's God going, I know, because I'm God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? You have a big God. Our faith is so little. When our God is so big. You know, I know this might seem a little weird and we're almost done. I appreciate your patience, but I think God is blessed. We bless the heart of God when we bring big prayers to Him, because we can. Because what, we, what we're saying is when we bring a big problem, an impossible problem, it's impossible for us. And God's like, good. It's impossible. It's about time, JD. I'm the God of the impossible. I mean, we bring this, I mean, the situation, it, 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 it's so big. It's so perplexing. It's so impossible. And God's like, come on, come on, bring it, bring it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I got this. <laughs> oh, you're going to see what I'm going to do. And by the way, uh, when you bring me little, you know, prayers, nothing wrong with small prayers. You know, like when you pray for a parking spot at Evie Lake Costco, nothing wrong with that. I was like, yeah, just get the intern, send them down there, get them a parking spot there. But what we're saying to God is, um, God, I'm not going to bring you the big stuff. I mean, you got a whole universe to run. So, you know, I'm just going to ask you for this. And why, why do you pray so small when I'm so big? 
what you don't trust me to do, something that big. Trust God for big things, because He's a big God. Yeah, but I got big problems. Your God's bigger. But I, I got big uh, marriage problems. Oh, your, your God is bigger. Yeah, but I got big problems with my kids. Ah, oh, your God. By the way, God loves your kids more than you ever could. And He wants them right with Him more than you ever could. Okay, I got a I need to end. How about we end the way we began with this prophetic promise and parable about always praying so as to not lose heart. If there was ever a time to pray, that time is now, because now is how it ends. The end is not here. The end is here. Are you losing heart? Are you weary? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Oh, just come to me. Give that to me, will you? I never made you to carry such a weight. Oh, I love that hymn of old. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, because we don't carry everything to Him in prayer. Well, this is why we do these updates and have for many years. It's why we end with the gospel, the good news, and the simple ABCs of salvation. The A is just simply for admit or acknowledge. This is how to be saved. This is just a simple way to share your faith. Should the Lord ever give you the profound privilege of sharing Jesus with someone? It starts this way. There has to be an acknowledging that you're a sinner. Otherwise, why would you be interested in the Savior? Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 sort of explains the bad news first with the good news. And the bad news is, is that the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the word gospel means. Good news, your debt has been paid. You're free to go. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. The B, very central, is for belief. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's so simple. Like with prayer being complicated, so too have we also complicated the simplicity of the gospel. And the C, lastly, is just for call upon the name of the Lord. 
Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, confess with your mouth. That's what comes as an outward expression of an inward commitment. When you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will, 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 will be saved. I implore you today, if you're here today or watching online and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I, I plead with you. I beseech you, do not delay the most important decision of your life for eternal life. It's not too late, but there is coming a day where it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Seek Him while He may be found. Well, again, I appreciate your patience. Today's But God testimony comes from someone who asked that I not share their name. Good day, Pastor J.D. I am writing to you from a tiny Caribbean island. Please permit me not to be specific with the name, as the nature of what I'm going to share is very personal. And I feel this is how the Holy Spirit will have me to share this But God testimony. I pray it will encourage you and others to hold fast to God's grace and mercy. Growing up, I struggled with my secret life of homosexuality. What strengthened this lifestyle as a stronghold was my viewing of sexual videos online. Even after I gave my life to Christ, I still continued secretly with this lifestyle, which eventually affected my personal plans as well as my relationship with God. The Holy Spirit kept striving with me and urged me to stop. It is really true that those whom the Heavenly Father loves, He chastens. My chastisement came through my personal plans being shattered and I being struck into a mental breakdown. This led me to being admitted into a psychiatric ward. While on the ward, I took ill with a fever that was not going down and eventually was moved into a hospital where I went into a coma. It was then that my blood was tested for the first time in 2017, and they saw that I had full-blown AIDS. My immune system was so weak that the doctor diagnosed that I would not recover and advised my loved ones that it would be best if they started making plans for my departure from this life. But God, I woke up out of the coma, unable to speak properly or walk. After one week after waking up from the coma, I was wheeled out of the hospital in a wheelchair since I couldn't walk. Two weeks after leaving the hospital, I was speaking fluently and walking again, although there was some minor discomfort. It was from then that I was led to go online to research COVID-19 and came across pastors like yourself preaching on prophecy. This is no coincidence, but God. The things that I listened to online align. 
I say thank God for raising up people like you for such a time as this, because people like me need this kind of encouragement. I now see why the Scripture says that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. My old nature still tries to tempt me, but God's Spirit is in full control, so I am able to resist the flesh. My heart is set on the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who laid His life down for me and shed His blood to save me. It is finished. I say hallelujah. When that trumpet blow, I'm ready to go. A born again believer saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, brother, I'm going to steal that one. I like that. Capona, what do you think? We write a song. You write a song. Not me. You. When that trumpet blow, I'm going to go. Come on up. Why don't you stand up? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. All the glory. Do your holy name, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for prayer. What would we do if we didn't have prayer? Thank you that we can come to you ask of you, look to you, trust in you, wait on you, anticipate from you grand and glorious things to come, because we've asked, because we seek, because we knock. We keep on asking, we keep on seeking, we keep on knocking persistently, persistently, persevering, in prayer. Oh God, give us that perseverance, that persistence. Please, O oh Lord, hearken unto the voice of our cry. I know there are many in my hearing that are in deep pain today. You know exactly what's happening. You know how hurt their heart is. Lord, would you today, as only you can, hearken unto the voice of our cry. Hearken unto the voice of our cry. We cry out unto you, O Lord. Who is like unto you, O Lord? There is none like you, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, Maranatha, come quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.